Summer's almost here. Yay, right? So, when's the last time you tried on your swimsuits and summer clothes? If you could get back into summer shape in one visit, would you do it? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonobello to explain. It really is quite remarkable. Sonobello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone. Permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit. It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonobella locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Every ultimate experience Ireland has to offer is always within reach with a 182 BMW. The ultimate bowl of chowder, seasoned with Atlantic salt air, the ultimate swim spot, even the ultimate scenic shortcut that happily takes way, way longer. Experience the ultimate with a 24-hour test drive from your local BMW retailer because owning your new BMW is always within reach. Visit BMW182.ie. Welcome back to another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. We got another big show this week. Of course, we have minor league games. We're going to get to an update early. My boy, Tyler O'Neill, finally got the call. What's going on? And it's perfect timing because it's the Cardinals week on the podcast. So it's I don't, it's simpatico. I don't know if, if there's ever, ever been synergy between this podcast and MLB and the St. Louis Cardinals and whatever the hell's going on in that front office. It's been right now. So, Lance, you are a Cardinals fan. You're my co-host. Am, yes. Welcome back to the show for another week. What's going on, man? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Yeah, this is pretty funny. We got O'Neill lined up with uh, the Cardinal list here. Completely unintentional. It happened two days ago or three days ago. And it's yes. just, yeah, I'm interested to see mainly what they do with this playing time. We'll get into the Cardinals list a little bit. But as you said, yeah, Atlanta, 
we got we got a lot going on in MILB in terms of guys that are rising, guys that are kind of maybe off to interesting slowish starts with high K rates and low walk rates, which is something we always like to see smoothed out early, but isn't always the case. And uh, yeah, I guess in in more of a relevant sense, you know, we got guys like Sinzel, Gleber, Acuna, Kopech, Vlad, all kind of these top tier, top fifteen ish kind of guys here, Ralph. That we're trying to figure out when we're going to see them at the major league level. You know, Acuna seems like he's uh, just around the corner. Um, I, I there was some speculation he was going to be called up the earlier this week, and he, he was not. Same with Senzel, and you know how how uh, willing are you to kind of stash some of these guys if you're in a redraft league and just hope for the best, hope that they're up within seven days or so. Yeah, I think Acuna has to be owned. Even in like a ten team league, I think I would stash oh, yeah. Acuna if Acuna you had a couple of bench spots. Yeah. Like I just think he's that good. Um, and I could see doing the same with Senzel. Maybe if you felt you were a little weak. Uh, maybe even middle infield and corner infield, depending on where he's you know playing. He's played some third base. He's played a lot of second base as well this year with Louisville. Um, my feeling is that Acuna will probably be up within the month. He'll be up within the next few weeks. I'm ho- I also have some personal bias here. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday. I'm planning on going to see the Gwinnett game at least on Sunday with the kids <laughs> if I don't sneak down there Friday or Saturday uh, down in Pawtucket. So I'm really hoping that he does not get called up. Same thing with uh, Goharo or Soroka, whoever ends up pitching on Sunday. Um, but I think Akun is probably the first one up. There's a good chance Glaber's up within the next couple of weeks. He's absolutely raking. I mean, he's hitting like what, 350, 360, 370, might even be 390 for for all I know. Um, he seems to be hitting everything. He seems totally ready. I know and Duhar's hitting a little bit now. Uh, got him in the mix. I mean, they signed Adam Lynn today, the Yankees. So at this point, they're sort of <laughs> grasping at straws. They got Neil Walker playing some first. They got Tyler Austin, you know, all that, uh, that whole situation. Um, I don't see why Glaber couldn't, couldn't somehow end up in the mix, especially considering he can play, you know, multiple spots in the infield. So that's kind of interesting. I think he's probably the second guy up after Acuna. Um, as good as Vlad is hitting, uh, I don't think we see Vlad until, what, July, maybe the earliest? Yeah, I, I, I think post, even that is maybe aggressive. Break. Yeah. Post all star break would shock. Yeah. Yeah, I think that he's, he's if anything, he's like a late September call-up when the rosters expand out and maybe they get him some looks. But that's if he slaughters double-A all year and if he they kick him up to triple-A and he kills there too. And he's already slaughtering double-A, so I mean, he's yeah. halfway there. But uh, yeah, we don't have too much of a, of a baseline for guys this young being called up to the major league level. So I think that puts a bit of hesitancy on me to commit to saying he's a September call-up. You know, I'm not sure on the service clock side of things too i feel like eventually when donnie goes at the end of the series of free agent when he goes that seems to be the opportune spot for him to break in next year break camp with the team and uh boba should, shouldn't be too too far behind him but yeah you mentioned vladdy's the youngest player in double a uh i don't know if you already iterated these stats but he's got multiple hits and six of his last eight he's slashing you know, he's slugging uh, i think 596 which is just dumb I mean, he's off to such a good start. We yeah. got to go look at him. And the game we got to look at, him, he didn't hit too well. And now, of course, the next day, of course, I think we mentioned this on the last pod, the day we weren't there that Sunday, he had his first double-A home run. And then he goes back up to New Hampshire for their weekend opener, and he starts killing the ball. And, man, he's been unbelievable. Um, you also mentioned here, out Ralph, uh, Anthony Alford. Uh, that's an interesting situation to me because he is mm. that converted kind of Monty Harrison style, very raw athlete, but has improved extremely well. I know this was a guy actually, I talked with Jim Callis a bit a while back, and I wonder if you brought him up in YouTube, when you talked to Jim Callis, but Callis was super impressed with the improvements Alfred made in terms of transitioning into baseball and how well he was able to adjust. And a lot of the tools are pretty raw. I don't know if everyone is in love with his swing as much as they 
as some people are. You know, I, I it's not the most gorgeous of swings, but he's a hit. I mean, he's hit at most levels, and the improvements he's shown have been unbelievable. A little old for his level, but overall, you know, that outfield's kind of funky. They got Grichik there and a couple other guys. I know Teoscar Hernandez is getting some looks around the diamond, too. Um, Kevin PR, you know, is he a guy that might be a little bit more under the radar? Did we uh, kind of sleep on him a little bit to the point where he's maybe even undervalued right now? Well, I've had him in the top 30 a couple of times, so I certainly didn't sleep on him. I love Anthony Alford. I do like the swing. I think that it's it's funny. Everything he does is very athletic. He's almost like if everything that Will Benson is was the complete opposite. So like Gronk, <laughs> Gronk with a bat, if he actually had some like ability to put it all together, and he probably does. So who knows? I'm not going to write off Will Benson or anything like that. But when we consider he's old for the level, but at the same time, in 24, I think now, or you know, could be 25 later this year, maybe. Um, but he played Division One college football in the SEC, I think. I think it was Mississippi or Mississippi uh, State. Yeah, I could check that quick. I'm not 100% sure, but. He was, a, he was like an option quarterback or something like that. So, I mean, like, he chased a different dream for a few years. Yeah. Then came back to baseball full time, committed to it. And you saw the hit tool, you know, uh, 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 sort of uh, tick up. I think he'd already be in the majors if it wasn't for, you know, a numerous uh, string of injuries. And it seems like everything is always soft tissue, hamstrings, you know, that sort of stuff. And that's never great to see because that's stuff that tends to be reoccurring, especially in a player where uh, so much of his value, baseline value, floor value, and I think he is a high floor guy, is predicated on the fact that he gets on base, hits for average, and runs really well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Plays really good defense, and that's going to get him into the lineup over someone like Grichik. See that, and that's what I was saying. Actually, I was texting with Gray last night. We were sort of going back and forth. We, we both agree that they're they're probably waiting until June or July to move forward on on Alfred. But Grichik is hitting under 100 right now. I mean, he's full on. You won't get this reference, but he's full on like Jack Clark when he came to the Red Sox, who was this like power hitter who hit like was the end of his career. He stunk, and he, I remember him like hitting 100 into like May and like getting booed at Fenway. But uh, he was an ugly <laughs> bastard too. If you see this guy's face, you can be like, yeah, that guy was definitely an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> Gr- Grichuk is, is apropos for the Cardinals list too. Cause as a Cardinal fan, I, I, I guess somewhat suffered with, with Grichuk for a while. I, I mean, there was stretches he had where he looked like the future stud of the Cardinals and, I bought into him a couple times, I'd say, throughout his career, and he made some crazy stints. I remember, in, I think in 2017, they shot him all the way down to high A and then up to double A just to completely yeah. remake his swing. He's had some fantastic stretches. When he barrels a ball, it looks unbelievably beautiful as a whole. I think he sits up there in terms of some exit velo, if you look at some of the stat yeah, cast barrels. stuff, too. Barrels is fantastic. Barrel, it's just Yeah, barrels per contact, he actually is like pretty high. I think he's like top mm. 15, at least, at least in 2017 he was. Yeah. But so, so far, he's not, he's not no. barreling nothing. 094 the 31% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate. He's got a couple home runs. I think he had a big day the other day, but uh, that's what you're going to get from Grichuk. You get these streaky games, and it's just tough. And as a Cardinal fan, I, I bought in a couple times. I think it's nice to have him kind of off that squad and let some of these other guys potentially hop up, like Tyler O'Neill. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and, 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 and I just wanted to go back quickly, too. Um, the thing with Alfred is, you know, the on-base percentage, all that sort of stuff is is really good, too. And they're going to hit a point where Grichik, once this core comes up with Vladdy and Bo and everybody, yeah. they're not going to – Grichik's going to be a, like a platoon bat for him. You Absolutely. know, he's going to be a bench guy that they can use, you know, and a depth guy. And you, and you need somebody like that. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think ultimately that's where he settles in for the rest of his career. I want to go back for a second, though, and ask you sure. two players – 
we're talking we talked about call ups. Obviously, yeah. the surf time clock situation that's passed at this point. Now we're waiting on Super Two for a lot of these guys, which you know we don't really know a date because it's the top twenty two percent. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that whole thing. Uh, what happens over the next couple of months can affect it, especially with some of these smaller guys, guys that were just under their limits that get called up. Uh, you know, pitchers and, and and that sort of thing. And there's a lot of them. So that affects that whole number. And, you know, probably sometime in June and July, we'll start to see the teams that are worried about, you know, even more, you know, extra, you know, service time and all that sort of stuff and arbitration and, and, and everything um, sort of call their guys up. When do you think Nick Senzel, because both of those teams have no reason, they're not chasing anything. This isn't the Yankees. It's not that sort of a situation where they really have a hole to fill or even the Braves who have been a little bit better than we thought. And I think, you know, there's so much excitement around Acuna. It's different than, you know, like a Senzel or a Kopech where there's excitement, but it's not, you know, level 11 on a scale of one to 10. Mm-hmm. So you're talking, you're talking Senzel. Senzel, see, the thing was, I, I remember, I think Gray shot out a post on Razball about Stash and Senzel. And I just, I was a little bit concerned because I remember actually last year, when Marte got suspended, I picked up Austin Meadows in a bunch of leagues because I thought he was going to get the nod. But the admission by the Pirates at the time then was that he wasn't ready. And it seems like they're saying that with Senzel right now, where they moved him back to third and they're waiting a little bit. I think Senzel is more like a month-ish off. I don't think he's kind of like one of these next seven days kind of guy. He's not like, I don't have Senzel watch on right now for me. I have like Acuna watch on. Like Acuna is going to be up soon, in my opinion. You said he, I think he homered the other day. And you're starting to see kind of him get back into the flow. And, and I really don't know the reasoning for them keeping him down. I guess maybe they really just wanted to write out Preston Tucker. Um, but I think Acuna is up, obviously, before Senzel. I think Gleber is also – if I had to predict, I'd say Gleber's actually up before Senzel. So I'd say it goes Acuna, Gleber, yeah, Senzel. Yeah, for sure. And then I'm the guy – one of the guys, when we, once we get into our back and forth on some of the guys, we're going to do a little whip around of the minor, league, minor leagues and pick five guys each and talk about them. One of my guys is Kopech. I think that – He's one I'm interested in. I don't think he's up soon just because I think they're going to stretch him out a little bit and be a little bit conservative with his workload overall. But I'm really interested when he comes up. He's probably, like, I'm super amped for all these guys, but Kopech is one of those guys, like, I really, really like him. He's my top pitching prospect. I'm extremely interested to see where he lands. But if you're talking in terms of just projecting when when guys come up, I'll go go Cunha, Gleber, Senzel, and then talk to me in a week and a half two weeks and we start to see who else is coming into the mold i think is the main thing but is that, is that jive with what you're thinking yeah yeah I, I don't think we actually i think there's a chance we don't see senzel until like june yeah but i, I think, think it's gonna too. be like may i cause there's no reason for them to force him they just fire the manager there's a whole yeah, rework of that organization I, there's just no reason for them to sort of throw nick senzel at this point into that whole that whole mess uh, though I know that I think Louisville's uh, uh, manager was called up and is now the bench coach, and they sort of promoted mm-hmm. people throughout the organization. So at this point, I think it's just better give him his time. If you want him to get some time at third, thir- uh, at shortstop and, and second base, and still get his reps at third, you can kind of do that with Louisville. And you know, you you have that luxury because he's a good player, but he's not hitting extremely well early on, and then. In addition to that, you you know you're not a competitive team, and yeah, if you true. want later in the summer, if he starts to get his sea legs under him, or there's a string of injuries, or there's some reason where you do need to call him up, at that point, you know the service time, everything's a little bit a little bit later on, and you, and you can bring him up. But I I think at this point, there's no reason to thrust 
Nick Senzel into this. Let let Alex Blandino hit 150. Who cares? Get get a top pick for the <laughs> the next season and uh, keep it step. Maybe you get Bobby Witt Jr. and we'll keep it stepping. Hey, we I wanted to mention before we jump into this Cardinals list too. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little draft because yeah. You had you had mentioned you know that uh, Fangrass had, had updated their their top ten. You've dug in a lot on this draft. I'm starting to dig in a little bit myself. Watch more and more players, and I'm interested on your takes. It's going to be a lot of Lance this podcast because we have Cardinals, <laughs> and we're going to talk a little draft. I wanted to hear just your your quick takes on their top ten and sort of who's lurking in your top 10, particularly from a fantasy aspect. Yeah, particularly from a fantasy aspect is where it's probably going to deviate a lot from what you see out there because I intend to do a pure player rank on the top, on the first round, and a fantasy rank and try to combine them to some extent because there's clearly a lot of guys, I think, in most drafts where you start to think about how far they're off based on if they're prep arms or not and if you really want to invest in that from a fantasy perspective. If you're willing to go in and a guy like Kumar Rocker and Ethan Hankins who are extremely extremely raw but are also extremely extremely talented that is an investment you know that's like you think about like Shane Baz last year another prep arm big arm we both kind of like him I think Ralph but it's one of those things where that's an investment Shane Baz is a three to four year project whereas you look at some of the guys in this draft there's some strong pitching all over you got Casey Mize of Auburn a heavy splitter fantastic pitch he's polished he's gonna move quick you comp him as far as time goes as far as how quickly he could reach the major leagues to a guy like Carlos Rodon Aaron Nola I think are two guys that you comp to Casey Mize I think you can even comp that to Shane McClanahan too where they're just gonna fly through he's Shane McClanahan's a lefty from uh, USF South Florida and you're often going to hear that South Florida, this is like the Florida Georgia draft in terms of talent. Um, and that's reigned true. But Myers of Auburn has jumped up. Um, two of the biggest movers are Alec Boehm of Wichita State, third baseman, and Casey Myers, right handed pitcher of Auburn. These are the two guys that are actually at the top of Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel's 2018 MLB mock draft. So I don't know if this is particularly their rankings. I don't believe it is. I think in terms of mock draft, what they're looking at a little bit is probably a little bit more on drafting philosophy and needs. I've heard some rumors that Jared Kalenic, he's kind of a toolsy outfield, outfielder a lot of people like from the left side, that the Tigers are in on him, they're in on Mize, they're in on a couple other guys as well. But uh, I'll run through their list really quick, and I'll try to toss in my thoughts overall. Um, so their list is Mize 1 to the Tigers. They have Alec Bohm 2 to the Giants. Number 3, they have Nick Madrigal, second baseman from Oregon State. Uh, he's to the Phillies at 3. The Phillies are interesting, too, because... I'm, I think they're actually, I'll jump cut out here a little bit and talk about the Phillies, but because that system is is kind of almost turning into this weird win-now movement where they pick up Jake Arrieta and some of these other guys where you start to see some of this talent coming up, I'm really interested to see if they go polish college or if they go with like a raw guy and try to duplicate like a Moniac or Sixto or someone like that and kind of build them up together and have like a second wave come through outside of King Green and Alfaro and Nick Williams and JP and all these guys. That's particularly interesting to me, just on where they go philosophically, or if they just go best player available. Which is again at three, you got to really make mm. a decision who you think's the best guy available. Um, for the White Sox are going Travis Swaggart, East South Alabama. Know the really tools, the outfielder. Jared Kalenic is a guy I like a lot personally. Um, he's a high school bat center fielder, really toolsy. They have him going to the Reds. Uh, the Mets at six, Matt Liebertor. This is a lefty high school kid. I think he's got a really really high floor for a prep arm you rarely see a prep arm i think with this kind of floor he's a lot of fun he's a really really intelligent kid too he actually went on the top velocity show 
um, which is, I think, a, a, a YouTube channel I've cited a, a lot with Ben Porso. He's a biomechanics genius, in my opinion. I love watching his breakdowns. And I always admit I don't fully understand, I think, 100% of what he talks about, but I really just like picking up on the little things. He actually broke down Libertor, and then Libertor came on the show, and they talked about like his mechanics and what he has to do. And I I mean, you talk about intangible side for Libertor, for me, and just my mind, I loved that. I loved that he was willing to sit down with someone and literally have Ben Porso critique him as a pitcher and talk about how he needed to improve and stuff and uh he's a ton of fun um carter stewart is is a really funky guy i encourage anyone who's interested in this draft at all on the on the prep side of things to go back on youtube and watch perfect game 2017 you get a look at a lot of these guys you get a look at mike vassal who's out here in, in massachusetts ralph i know you tried to get a look at him but it got i saw snowed. him i saw him play i saw him play left field on saturday against st yeah. john's and uh, he was supposed to pitch today thursday but i got snowed out in boston so that's where oh. we're at so uh me and ralph really want to see this kid though mike vassal he's another prep arm super high floor um probably a little bit more later from mid first round but he pitched super super well in terms of raising his stock i think that that could definitely be a thing he works on and he's a cold weather arm too so i think there might be a little concern around there he's a really good chance for some value in my opinion carter stewart mm-hmm. i cut away from quickly there youtube perfect game 2017 in san diego you get a look at a lot of these guys carter stewart is um, in terms of StatCast, he's a StatCast darling, if you want to quote-unquote call him that. Highest spin rate curveball ever clocked by StatCast. Ever clocked by StatCast. This isn't in college. This isn't high school. This is across the board, all major leaguers. His curveball's disgusting. But the biggest thing for him, he's a high school arm. The thing I love about him is how much he's talked about wanting to incorporate a changeup. And a lot of people, I think, when you listen to that or watch that uh, Perfect Game 2017, they'll talk about him specifically in terms of becoming a reliever. They're like, oh, high floor, because he could just become a reliever with his insane fastball and this loopy, crazy curveball combo. But the fact that, for me, that he's focused on this change makes the stock for him much higher. And, you know, I, I rarely say this, but I, this is another guy, I think, who's a relatively high floor prep arm. Like, this is really interesting, in my opinion. The volatile prep arms are Kuma Rocker and Ethan Hankins, and then you have the floor prep arms and Carter Stewart Matt Liebertor in this draft. Um, really like uh, Stewart. They have him going number seven to the Padres. The Braves at eight have Kuma Rocker, um, and my computer's freezing, so I can't even see nine and ten. Oh, Ryan Rawlison, and number 10 to the Pirates. He's a lefty from Ole Miss. And then Joey Barkatcher from Georgia Tech to the Athletics at number 9. So that's their draft. The guy that I think uh, – I don't want to go too long on this. I know we could probably do a heck of a yeah. lot on the draft. But, but Nolan Gorman is the one who I probably two weeks ago and probably still have number one overall on my board. He's a prep bat. Stupid, crazy power. There's big K concerns. There's probably a little bit of walk concern, too. I want to see him a little bit more against higher level pitching, but I love this kid's swing. He hits an absolute bomb in this perfect game video that I'm talking about. I really like his power. I think that in terms of pure raw power, in terms of fantasy side, and I know it might be a little bit more timetable developmentally, fantasy side, I think that he's really, really interesting, as opposed to maybe a guy even like Madrigal or some of these other ones like Joey Bart, where really good ball players, but where's the fantasy ceiling for me you know that's the main thing i think you get to run and so on the fantasy side of things keep an eye on um a couple guys here keep an eye on hankins i'd say keep an eye on um libertor i think floor guy again and then my guys nolan gorman who i'm probably gonna stick with for a while probably have him when i put on my board in the top five but hopefully that kind of gives you an idea of what's going on in the draft i know that i was kind of cheating off the the list from fangraphs here but they do a fantastic job they get more looks mm. at these guys than i do so i definitely abide by what they're saying most of the time but you know, watch these guys get your own opinion, inform them, and see what you think. But for the fantasy side of things, Ralph, we should definitely do a show and break down break down our thoughts because I know you're getting into it more. Yeah, that's that's coming. I think we have a, a handful more systems here that we'll probably yep. do, and then we'll probably call it quits in the system show. Maybe like 
two more. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Maybe condense a few into it. But uh, we're, we're kind of doing a mismatch. So we're, we're adding in some sort of highlights over the last week in MILB over the first half and then maybe condense it into a top 10 show where we sort of go back and forth and uh, maybe are a little bit more concise with our uh, breakdowns of players than we had been <laughs> yeah, <laughs> earlier maybe, in the season. Maybe, yeah. We got a bit verbose, but um, <laughs> yeah, all in all, though, uh, I think that's that's what the plan is. And we'll probably hit those in May because most of your drafts really aren't until September, uh, October, December, January. I mean, we're, we're probably closer to when you just had your first year player draft than when you're actually going to have it. Good so yeah. we'll, we'll definitely talk about it because it's going to be interesting. And they're going to be players that we're going to be following throughout the summer into the fall, or, you know, maybe even the fall league, depending yep. upon maybe my, and some of these guys, how quickly they move. And it's really exciting to see, because you never know where guys pop up. I think, you know, uh, just as an aside here, like Joey Lucchese was, you know, the first player other than Austin Hayes to make it to the major leagues from that 2016 draft. And, yeah. He was he was a fourth round pick. Hayes is a second round pick. These guys weren't, you know, the the big sexy names even in, you know, as sleepers in that draft necessarily. And uh, it's just funny how, you know, players progress and they make it to the major leagues. And I think Lucchese's probably going to be around for at least a, a few more weeks, if not a few more months, if not the rest of the season or a couple Absolutely. years. Right. So um, <laughs> unlike Hayes, who went down to double A. So why don't we move on to some some newsmakers? Why yes. don't you go? We go we go back and forth through a top five. That we sort of we sort of pick through. You have an interesting an old friend, uh, oh, yeah. former top 10 pick, actually, is your number one yes. newsmaker of the week. Who's yeah, that? Cole, Lance? Cole Stewart, twins arm righty here. Uh, I noticed that he's got two starts under his belt already in double A. I believe that's the Chattanooga Lookouts now. Used to be the New Britain Rockcats out here in Connecticut, but that is out in Chattanooga. I think Chattanooga is in Tennessee, Ralph. Can you confirm my geography here? Is it is, yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah, one for one. Yeah, so he had two starts in double A. Both went five innings. He has 14 strikeouts through 10 innings pitch with only one walk. That stands out to me. I know it's a really small sample, but he's a guy, and I the thing with I, I really wish I had some tape at either of these starts to take a look at. Because if you watch any of his side sessions from 2016 or 2017 that are on YouTube, he has a pretty heavy back leg drive. And the control's always been the concern with him. I don't really love the extension, but I actually projected out the changeup a little more than I think other people did based on his arm speed. I liked it. I like that he's kind of a two-curveball guy, and he has that chance, in my opinion, to bring up that changeup a little bit more than the below average I've seen it tagged at. So I'd be interested to see if he's using that pitch more. But those two things stood out to me because I wonder if they're making him a little bit more rotational. I wonder if they smooth out his lower half a little bit. I'm really interested if anyone had, had eyes on him. If you, have, if you happen to be listening to this pod and, and you saw Cole Stewart in either, either of these starts for AA, shoot us a tweet. Shoot Prospect user tweet or me on Twitter, at Lance Brosdow. Let me know because I'm interested. I'm interested if, if you've got video. That'd be awesome. I'd love to shoot that around on Twitter and take a look. But he's intriguing to me, particularly because hmm. of that, because the control, I think, is up a little bit. And again, he was a top five overall pick. I think he was fourth overall in 2013 or something like that. He's way, way, way back. But again, yeah. prep arm. He's only, I think, 22 or 23 right now. He's young. And sometimes the investment with these guys just takes a really long time. So Cole Stewart jumped out to me when I was looking through some, some leaderboards, Ralph. How about your number one? Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit more boring, but that's kind of interesting because he's definitely interesting for some of my deeper leagues. I'm going yes. to take a look because he's a guy yeah. that a lot of people post-hype. might have given up on. Yep. He's sort of he's sort of post hype and he's a prospect still, which is always kind of funny how that works, because as we know, and just as an aside, once again, a lot of asides tonight, a ton um, of asides. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it's not, you know, it's not a straight line. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. not the way. It's it's uh, that's not the way, you know, uh, development works, especially with ball players, And, you know, 
there's a lot of rich hills, man. There's a lot of rich hills and Absolutely. Joey Bats out there that you know figure stuff out later on in their careers. Maybe Jose Martinez's. We'll oh. see. My number one though is not one of those guys. This is somebody who seems to have figured it out very early on. Immense talent, former big time J two signing. Unfortunately, he was injured last year. And we lost him. Of course, I'm talking about Juan Soto. He has been absolutely destroying the Sally League with Hagerstown. He's slashing 378, 508, 822 slugging percentage with five doubles, four homers, uh, 21 RBIs. He went two for three tonight. I, I, I feel like every time I look, he's absolutely destroying the ball. At this point at 19 years old, he is way too advanced. For full ball, I, I I honestly think that you could d- jump him up a level to Double A right now, and that would be the challenge that he probably needs. The, the issue with him has just been health. I mean, the hit tool's so good; he's got raw power. It's fluid. It's natural. Um, he still runs pretty well, though. I think he'll sort of uh, eventually progress out of that. This guy, he's shooting up at the top 10. I mean, I think that this is going to be like the middle of the order bat that's going to sort of replace Vlad and Eloy as those guys move on next year. And he's going to be the guy that everybody's sort of stashing that, you know, my has like, you know, future number three, number four hitter written all over him. So I am really excited about Juan. So I just wanted to bring it up because I think at this point he's already proven he's probably too good for this level. I know it's only a few weeks, but if you've watched any of these games and Hagerstown has had at least two or three games I've watched now on MILB and he just looks fabulous in comparison, just all the little things about a guy that you, you, you notice that just make him a professional ball, you know, uh, an MLB guy. He has just everything about him is just so different. Yeah, he's, I think, particularly on the fantasy side thing, Ralph, here. He, he is particularly intriguing because of how good that hit tool is, how good that game power is. He's a guy who I think you should jump up if you're doing fantasy ranks versus real-life ranks. I think you should hop him up because, man, that bat is unbelievable. I'm a huge fan of Soto. Um, I know you are, too. I feel like he's, the, he's definitely the buzz guy early among prospectors, I would say, in terms of what I'm seeing on Twitter and everything, and, and rightfully so, you know, yeah. absolutely. Um, my yeah, number two he, here. He's the guy who can blow up. Absolutely. My number two here, Blake Rutherford, uh, lefty bat, Chicago system, relatively aggressive assignment in high A here. Um, he's got seven doubles in 10 games, which stood out to me. No home runs, but again, prep bat, I think this is one of the other, we're going back to kind of just waiting on development here, but but Rutherford's a guy, I, I kind of always liked his swing a little bit. He's got a tiny leg kick. His hands are pretty smooth. I know they kind of take it with him a little bit, got him into his legs more from when he was back in high school, but uh this is almost one of those things, you know, I was reading a quote from Chris Getz, who's a player development guy for the White Sox, um, and of course you're going to get a little bit of bias whenever you talk to someone, or whenever you see someone, excuse me, in the system, quoting about their own players, like, I, no player development guy is ever going to be like, oh, I don't like this player who's in my system and that I talk to every day, like, they're always going to hype up their own guys, but I just like one of the things he said particularly with Rutherford is that Rutherford has always had that power, this gap-gap power that this guy, Chris Katz, and I'm sure other scouts think can turn into more so home run power in that 15, hopefully maybe 15 to 25 range. That's a big range, but let's say it lands around 20, 22 a year. Um, And the thing is that what Chris Katz mentioned is just he's always had this latent. They just need for him to understand when to unload because when he gets into a ball, it goes gap, it goes really far, and he's got a beautiful swing from the left side. It's compact. There isn't a crazy amount of swing and miss here. He's 21% strikeout, 8% walk in high A right now, which is really small sample, but consistent with the prior years, which I really like for this jump. I want to see if they can kick him up in double A at some point this year, hoping by midsummer, late summer, and see where everything trends and lines up 
after you know they get him a solid sample here and get him some reps and again this kid's only 20 years old i think there's pop here i'm a pretty big fan of rutherford overall in terms of you know that fringe guy that maybe could start hopping up into the top 60 50 of some list if you're super high on him and and if this development sticks and he's this young he's super young give him another couple years and let's see where he is i'm a big fan of rutherford how about your number two ralph uh, my number two, it's funny you mentioned Chris Getz, by the way, another aside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got a, I got a buddy who actually grew up with Chris Getz. So, uh, I don't know, maybe we can oh, get well. him on the podcast. Uh, we can do a quick interview with him. Who knows? Cool. Probably not. Yeah, Probably not. Right. He's want to be, he's want to be in the podcast with a guy named Ralph Lipschitz. <laughs> who are we kidding? He's a, he's an MLB executive, but, uh, my number two is a, Another good one of my guys. I like to call him my guys. <laughs> I was, ah, if you could see it on camera, you guys would love it. I was like a fist pump. Oh, what a, one of my guys. Brandon Marsh. I love me some Brandon Marsh. Uh, full season A ball. I think he sort of gets lost in the shuffle in this Angels organization behind, you know, Jemai Jones and his whole experiment at second base now. And, and, and obviously how exciting Joe Adele is as a prospect. And of course, Shohei Otani. Brandon Marsh is a guy that would be number one in a lot of team systems that had decent top tens. He is a really exciting prospect. He's got a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, but I think what he's showing already is the hit tool. He's hitting 308, uh, 919 OPS. He's getting on base a lot. Um, he'll strike out a little bit, but I think he's more of like a 21, 22% strikeout rate guy when things sort of stabilize. But, you know, I, I, I think he can walk at a 10, 11% clip. Um, hit for a high average. He's showing a little bit more of that than he had previously. I'm kind of interested to watch Marsh now. Um, and I think he's probably going to stick around. Uh, I think he's in the Sally League right now. I think he'll probably stick around the Sally League for most of the year. But uh, it wouldn't shock me if he gets a cup of coffee at Double A toward the end of the season. I think he's a really exciting prospect. And I think a guy that maybe goes a little bit under the radar because he's a little bit further away. Uh, he's had some injury issues. But, you know, I've always ranked him highly, and I just think the, the total package is really exciting. And I'm glad that he's hitting over 300 and has an over 900 OPS because, uh, uh, you know, like, he's one of my guys. <laughs> he's one of the guys. Yeah, we're getting to Tyler O'Neill later, who's one of your guys, too, which I'm oh, excited to oh, talk about a lot. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Number 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 three for me here. I'm actually going to go negative. I feel like we were so positive on the last show. We've been so positive that two of my five, I had to make negatives. Um, or more yep. so, I guess you could almost just say neutrals with some hope. But my number three here is Mickey Moniak, who isn't isn't off to uh, the greatest of starts here in uh, in high A. Another aggressive assignment guy who gets pushed up to high A. I know MILB.com, I think, tossed out an aggressive assignments list. Went through a lot of the guys who they thought were were slotted into full season ball at levels that were maybe a little bit higher than they expected, which is always interesting because I would love seeing aggressive assignments and how guys react. And Moniak is pretty much duplicating what he's done for the last two years, which is not really hit too well, strike out a lot and not really walk a lot. So it's tough because I, I think I've always liked the swing. I've always liked the contact approach and everything going on with him. And it, I think it's a relatively pleasurable swing to watch. It's just, there's been no results. Like at some point with some of these guys, and I know this is probably going to deviate some from some of the other pods that I've talked about with the money act, where I still think you have to give them time. I'm giving Blake Rutherford time. I'm giving Cole Stewart time in terms of how long you got to wait before he can actually make a final decision on the kid. And again, money Act's really young, but this is tough. This is tough. 12 games, 25% striker rate, 4% walk rate. He's struggling once again, and it seems just like he's duplicating prior years too. I know Scott Green, shout out, buddy ours, who I finally met out in Hartford, Ralph. Um, Got to look at him. I believe today I saw something kick around on his Twitter. So I'm, I'm interested to see what he thinks, the live looks at him, because I never got a live look at him. Mm-hmm. But 
I, I, they obviously want this kid to be good. Like this is their first overall pick. They're going to give this kid as many shots as possible. But at some point, I just want to see like a four week, five week stretch where this kid hits like 350 with a couple home runs. He doesn't have to hit for home runs. Like, I mean, future potential. If you get this kid to like a 300 average, turn him into a gap hitter, give him like 10 home runs a year. I still think you, you strangle some value out of this, which has been a relatively unsuccessful draft pick. I know Puck was the guy. A lot of people were like, oh, they should definitely have drafted Puck over him. Now Puck's down with TJ. So it's like, just give me something out of Moniac. Give me five years down the road. I want them to be able to say we got X out of Moniac before, aside from just completely scrapping the pick. So I, I guess I'm just a little frustrated because I, I, I want to see these kids succeed and, and it's not really happening for him. Tell, tell him why you're mad, Lance. Yeah, I think uh, Jason Jason Woodell, uh, former guest of the show, friend yeah, of the show. Yeah, definitely. I think he was down at the game with him as well because he's oh, nice. in the uh, Florida State League. He's in Clearwater. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. I wish I had gotten an opportunity to see some more Florida State or any Florida State League games for that matter while I was in Florida. I'll tell you, my number three, another one of my guys. Another one of my guys. Uh, <laughs> Jeter Downs, shortstop yeah. from the Reds. Uh, I think it was a first round uh, composite uh, uh, a co- compensation. I said composite compensation composite pick, pick. <laughs> yeah. a composite pick, baby, um, uh, you know, uh, a compensation guy and, uh, you know, pocket round. Um, and he's hitting really well so far. 302, 853 OPS. He's got a homer. Uh, that's in low a full season ball. He's still a teenager shortstop, like I said. Uh, and he was actually named after Derek Jeter. So. There you go. He's got that going for him, I, I guess. Um, Kenny, <laughs> shout, shout out to Kenny Cashman. We'll do your commercial in a little bit, buddy. But shout out to Kenny Cashman and some, and some Jeter name love. But, love yeah, I don't, I don't know, Lance. I, I love Jeter Downs. I love the fact that he's a middle infielder. He's athletic. He's hitting for a little bit of power. We know that he can run a little bit, too. Um, I think this is another guy like Taylor Trammell in the same mold where I guess this is the one thing that the Reds have done really well the last few years is I think they've drafted really well personally. They've, yeah, they've had yeah. some interesting draft picks, and uh, this is another one of those guys that they hit on, and I'm happy to see him doing well uh, early in the season, especially with an aggressive assignment. There's a lot of guys in his situation that maybe get brought for you know season A ball situation, more or less like a you know the third level of rookie ball um, with a lot of other draftees. But yeah, it's good to see you know a teenager like that doing well in the Midwest League. It's not an easy place to hit, but uh, big shots, Jeter Downs. Yeah, I love you, bro. <laughs> love it love it i'm gonna combo my four and five here ralph try to pick things up um number four for me is a guy we kind of touched on briefly michael kopech two decent starts under his belt i believe he pitches on friday we're recording this thursday night so i will not be able to know those stats but i encourage you to to hop over to milb.com and see how he did his first start of the year he went four innings k to eight and then his next start he went six innings k three with two walks so you kind of the tale of two halves here this stuff is unbelievable with him the slider absolutely disappears you know, last year we were looking, there's this insane stretch he had at AAA late where it was just everything came together for the first time for him, where you started to see a little bit more change of usage. You started to see much better control, which was always the concern, excuse me, always the concern with him. And now that we're to a point where the concern, the control isn't a massive concern, you're starting to see the output. And I am just, I'm all in on Kopech. I think that this is immediately going to become like an sp3 i think right off the bat you're looking at like a top 40 pitcher the second he comes up and i know there's gonna be some probably some blow up starts here and there but once he starts to get his footing he gets consistent is able to mix three pitches consistently and you start to see that strikeout upside with him specifically man i'm i'm really really excited for him i know that this probably is a little bit later of a summer call up if um maybe we could stretch out like a june call up but i'll probably say after the all-star break most likely but uh but super excited about Kopech. and then number five for me i'll go back to the negatives here monty harrison um 
I, I saw a tweet. I don't remember who it was from, so I fortunately can't give credit to anyone. But it's it was Monty Harrison, Lewis Brinson, and Asan Diaz are all guys with like 30 to 35% K rates at their respective levels right now. And that that's not great, unfortunately, because if you're a Marlins fan, you look at all these prospects and you kind of go, oh, we got, this is this is the, the riches we have is in the prospects. And you start to see how much they're striking out. And not even like one of them. We don't even get like Asan Diaz with a refined approach or anything. He's off to a slow start. But Monty Harrison is a little bit concern, concerning with his assignment to double-A and the fact that he's king at a 30% rate. The walk rate's nice. I think it's above 10% too. This is a tough jump from high to double-A for a lot of guys, and you'll see that catch in the stats. You'll see a bit of regression off the bat. So this is, I, I wouldn't say it's negative. I'd say it's more neutral. I'd say Moniac's a little bit more negative for me just because I want to see some production from him. But Harrison is more like, a, we've really got to watch this guy close in the next month and a half or so to see if that K-rate comes down a little bit if this was just kind of some early season struggles here. But... Yeah, I, I think this is a little bit concerning. I also looked around too. Interesting in this uh, in this division of Double A, he gets to look at uh, Gonslaus from the Twins. He gets to look at Kyle Wright and Alec Hansen. So that's some really quality pitching there. And I'm I'm really interested to see how he does against that pitching. I don't think that the K rate's going to be too nice. But how was how was Gonslaus still in Double A? That's by also the way. a good this question. guy should be in like the majors. <laughs> like it, it, it's insane that he's in Double A and, and and not the majors. Like with some of the guys. Well, Twins, the twins have to have some bums that are rolling out there. Who am I thinking of? It's in the back end of that rotation that hasn't been very good. Uh, We've had another guy, Zach Lytle, I think that that's been pretty good yeah, too. Yeah, maybe yeah. double. No, that's a good point. Um, yeah, give me your four and five, Ralph. Right here. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my four and five. You, you look at who the bad yeah, twins pitchers are. We'll right figure out where he's going <laughs> to figure in. Uh, my number four is not necessarily one of my guys, but. Uh, Brendan McKay, I just think it's kind of interesting with all the Shohei Otani stuff going on. I know he's in the lineup tonight, actually, against uh, Eduardo mm-hmm. Rodriguez after the whole blister issue. Uh, and that was pretty nasty. We got Brendan McKay, who's hit most of the time. Uh, now, again, once again, it's it's low A. He's an advanced college hitter. He's a decorated college hitter, one of the most decorated college players of all time. So let's put that context on it. But he's hitting 318. 923, no homers yet, but he's hitting for power. And, you know, it is the Midwest League, which is, you know, uh, a league. You know, Jim Callis, when I talked to him a few a few weeks ago, uh, you know, he had swore up and down that this is the hardest league to hit him, harder than the Florida State League and, and all those parks, you know, especially early on in the Midwest League. If that's your first assignment out of April, it is so cold, it's so windy, it's so blustery, it's really a tough place to hit. So once again, another another uh, Midwest League guy that I want to I give a shout-out to. Uh, and then my number five guy, I would say, is probably – the player of the week, the player of the month yeah, so yeah. far in the minors, other than Tyler O'Neill, uh, less still in the minors. That would be Josh Naylor of the San Diego Padres, somewhat ex- aggressive assignment in double A. And we talked about him last week in the show. Just a quick update. We don't need to dig in on him because we talked about him so much. Yeah. 395, yeah. 491, 837 thus far with six homers um, tied for the minor league lead at the moment. So really exciting player, huge power bat. It's exciting to see that he's sort of coming along and how he sort of fits in as a piece in uh, this really interesting rebuild uh, by the San Diego Padres. If you want to hear more about that one, go back, check out last week's show. To the girl who hates those hot dog leg selfies and just wants to snap up a hot deal. Oh, there's another one. Hashtag rest assured at Summer Girl 38. Message received. And to the working man who hasn't had a vacay in what feels like forever. It's just been so busy. That Rest I... assured, Busy B, I got you. Please don't call me that. Whatever you're planning this summer, for a better rate, make it Maldron. Join now and save 10 euro at maldronhotels.com. Terms and conditions apply.
show. Lance, we've Ooh. made it finally to the Cardinals. <laughs> can we do the whole Cardinals system in 25 minutes? What do you say? Uh, Rotoware? You, you know what we can do for 25 minutes is talk about Rotoware. We could. Oh. We could talk about Rotoware <laughs> for 25 minutes. Before we get into the Cardinals, let's talk about something that's even more consistent than the Cardinals organization when it comes out to the product that they put out there on the field. That would be Rotoware at Rotoware, Rotoware.com at Kenneth underscore Cashman. That would be the founder, designer, uh, uh, proprietor, uh, conspirator, whatever you want to call. <laughs> He's everything. He's everything from the mailroom guy up to the CEO at Rotoware. That's Kenneth Cashman. Best designs, highest quality T-shirts. Everything is very baseball centric, very stats centric. So if you're a fantasy baseball head, even if you're just, uh, you, you, you like to listen to the podcast. He's got some great stuff. He's got the advanced stats shirt. He's got the fly, the quality start, which is the personal favorite of Lance. He's got the yes. crab army shirt. I think that you could still order. He's doing custom shirts for a ton of different shows. Go on to road aware. I could name them all day long. He's got stuff from last year. That's still really dope. Like AL and only mix league. I was wearing that one yesterday. I, I, I think I have like 12 road aware shirts. I'm, I'm not even kidding. So go to road Check out what they have. You're guaranteed to like some of the shirts. And what I'm going to tell you to do is use our promo code. You'll get 20% off your purchase. The promo code is SAGNOF, S-A-G-N-O-F. That's promo code SAGNOF to get 20% off your Rotoware T-shirts. Lance, anything you want to add before we dive in on the tweet, tweet, Cardinals? <laughs> I don't think I have much to add. You, you always kill it with that first round there. I always try to add something a little bit more to the Rotoware brand. And I really like the Dong Chaser <laughs> shirt he did. I got to shout out the CBS guys because I know that Kenny's been in touch with them. And he's got a little thing going. They just do like a Dong Chaser thing. I know we call it on Res I think we call it Batty Call. I don't know if, I, I don't know if that was a Res original, but I do like it. And I've heard it mm-hmm. ra- kicked around in terms of basically wanting to stream a home run is the concept of it. But Dong Chasers is the one kind of CBS guys do. And I know Kenny made a shirt for them i don't know if that's for sale i think it might be for sale and i think some of that profit goes to fantasy cares which is a great kind of philanthropic thing that i believe the fantasy industry is doing to, to give some money back to the fantastic people out there that need it so huge shout out to kenny for doing that quality on the shirts is always unbelievable you got 12 ralph i think i have five so i'm definitely behind you i gotta catch myself up and the rotoware challenge is always for anyone is to go on to put 12 shirts in your cart to buy 12 shirts and then me and ralph will like it on twitter that's all. That's all we're going to do. We're not going to give you anything else. And use the promo code SAGNOF, too, to help us to show we'll Kenny 20%. that people are listening to this. <laughs> I'm sure he looks at that tracking data. But uh, Rotoware Challenge is always in effect. Man, the card. Actually, no, before we go to the Cardinals ref, I just looked at the Twins depth chart. They only have four stars in the rotation. So uh, that's that's kind of what's going on in Minnesota. <laughs> it is Barrios, Odorizzi, Lynn, and Gibson, and that's it. They don't even have a fifth listed. So, uh yeah, they might need. I think I take Gonzalez over <laughs> over Gibson. To be honest with you, I think I might take him over Lynn. <laughs> Speaking of the Cardinals and Cardinals, <laughs> oh, that's, man, a, oh, that's true. <laughs> so let's get into the Cardinals top ten, and I think yeah. we can sort of jump through the early part of this list. Yeah, yeah. We both have the same number one. We both have Alex Reyes. He's on the sixty day DL. He should be activated sometime in I think what late May, early. I hope. Yeah. What do you think they do with Reyes? You're a Cardinals fan. I'm going to leave this take to you. Sure. I think if you want to know what I think about Reyes, he's freaking awesome. Great fastball and stuff. Go back and read what I've written about him. Lance, what do you think? Yeah, this – and honestly, it's interesting because with the the riches the Cardinals have in their rotation, and they do this almost every year. They have Mikolas this year, Michael Esser, you say it. 
He's in the rotation. He looks pretty good. I really like some of the starts he's made. I know the player radar on Rasball likes him a bit. I think Ralph's probably, or Ralph, you're Ralph. Gray, excuse me, has had him in some uh, sleeper posts here and there and, and some stream posts. My, Michaelis is good. They got Jack Flaherty down at AAA, who again is ready. I really like how he was using his curve when he came up. I enjoy that slider a ton and how he was commanding that low in the zone. He, he's a guy who they bring up right now and toss 140, 150 innings in a season. And then you have Alex Reyes, who is by far, in, has been year over year, the best prospect in the system. Um, he's an unbelievable pitcher. He has basically 350 to 60 grade pitches. Fastball, two-seamer, change, slider. I like everything. The changeup projection is unbelievable. That pitch absolutely disappears. One of the better changeups, I think, in the minor leagues when he was healthy. Qualify that, of course. Slider's fantastic. Really good fastball. The sink on his uh, two-seamer is fantastic. It's, the, the walks were always a concern when we saw him, even when he was coming out of the pen. And this was obviously a thing with a lot of guys in terms of how it smoothed it out. But his swinging strike was, rate was fantastic. And his strikeout rate was so good that you were able to kind of get by some of the walks because no one could square him up because of all these pitches and how he can mix them. The thing that I like the most about him is when he was coming out of the pen and he was starting in kind of those weird couple more than three out kind of roles was that he was using all of his pitches. If you want to bring this back to a guy like Walker Bueller, where he came up and he wasn't using, in my opinion, all of his pitches to the effect that he could be using them. When you look at what Alex Reyes did, he was throwing pitches. He was throwing, I think, every pitch in his arsenal above 10% of the time. And I love that. I love him with the confidence to mix all these pitches together. But of course, he goes down with Tommy John. We're concerned now as to what exactly the role is. For me, I think that role turns into, I'm going to go to another guy in the division here, it turns into kind of like a Josh Hader role, honestly. I know Hader's a very different pitcher because Hader's basically two pitches. He's been working on that change to righties. And I, I think long-term, I'd love to see Hader start. But they found a niche with him in this two- to three-inning role. I know a lot of people are starting to project out the stats in a full season for Josh Hader, and they look fantastic. And this goes back to the fantasy side of things. He's basically relevant in almost every league if you start to project out how much he's starting per weeks. And if he can get you some saves and some wins, it turns into an asset in fantasy. We really haven't seen too much. But the depth the Cardinals have in their rotation makes me think that Alex Reyes goes into one of these roles where he goes two to three innings at a time. Maybe they use him late in games if they don't love Bud Norris. I know they're trying to smooth Greg Holland back into the closer role. He doesn't look too great, but... I, they paid him, I think, at the end of the day, when you look back in June, Holland's going to have some save, and Norris will be kind of a seventh, eighth inning guy that he always has been. But, And I know Norris has been fantastic at the start this year, too. But I think Reyes settles into kind of like a two, three inning pitch roll where they smooth him out and they stretch him out. There's no reason to rush him. I think that reason, I remember, Ralph, we were texting a while ago when, when he first got moved to the 60 ADL. We were speculating that there might have been some injury. There might have been a kickback up in his arm, something in the rehab process process ticked but the Cardinals came out and I believe what the Cardinals say I, I think it's tough to contest it that this was purely a move because they know they have a couple other guys who could start Wayno is a guy who sure. I know a lot of Cardinal fans are kind of tired of they kind of wanted to see him go to the pen and ride out the rest of his career but he's actually looked not terrible in his last couple starts which is shocking to me um, I'm not really confident that's going to persist but they, again just goes back to the depth they have so many guys here I just don't think they risk it with Reyes I would be really happy to see him make a start or two this year if I had to put money on whether he starts a game this year I'm going to say no and I'm going to say that he goes to the pen pretty much full time and they start to stretch him back out I'd love to see him maybe get to like 45 to 60 innings and I think that might even be a little bit aggressive in terms of what they're thinking timetable wise now because he's going to have to do minor league stints but I'm lingering on a race a lot here I really really like him he's a guy that I, I think Cardinal fans have followed for a while and we really just want to see come to some fruition in terms of the major league level he's still young he's still got some time and i i mean with the cardinals and with their depth that i'm mentioning i wouldn't rush it with him and whether that diminishes diminishes him as a fantasy asset is up to you but for me i still think he's up there i think he's my number three or four pitcher on my top 100 and i'm sticking him there and, and still we, something tells me otherwise um 
Tyler O'Neill, Ralph, I got to kick this back to you. I got to open the floor <laughs> for your soliloquy on Tyler O'Neill, who got called up. Uh, the one concern I have is with playing time, Ralph. So you got to kind of talk to me and what sure. you think Matheny could do in his mind. This seems like a bat that they're. <laughs> yeah, I know it's gonna be tough, right? <laughs> yeah, like uh, I can figure one. that one out. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I got, I got, I got. Uh, as 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 my buddy Sully from Southie would say, I got no fucking idea, kid. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have no yeah. clue what's going to happen with O'Neill in playing time. It looks like Bader played today. Yep. They're facing Lester, Lester, who's a lefty, and I totally agree that Bader should face left-handed pitching because he mashes left-handed pitching. He struggles to hit for power against righties. That's where his sort of uh, blind spot is. So it totally makes sense. I wouldn't thrust him into the lineup. That's fine. I don't expect him to necessarily get consistent playing time, but it's a good sign that he was the first guy that they called up over some of these other outfielders that, you know, are probably major league ready. And a guy like Jose Adalas Garcia, who has a gun can play a few uh, uh, outfield spots. You know, he's decent enough hitter. Um, I think he's kind of exciting. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, And then like like Randy uh, Arizarena, who's another guy that's probably, you know, on the cusp of the major leagues it's in that Memphis outfield. So the fact they called up O'Neill, it's not a total shock because he's just seeing beach balls right now. He's hitting nearly 400, was tied with Josh Naylor for the minor league league in home, minor league lead in homers with six. So everything he was seeing, he was hitting. But I think it's funny. Um, there's a lot of uh, narrative around O'Neill. Um, and here's the Ralph Tyler O'Neill truther. Uh, uh, side of me coming out again. And I had this conversation with Jason Collette last night. It was fun. You know, we talked about that on the baseball show uh, for fan tracks. And you know, sort of what I was saying is it's like we get so caught up in looking at a fan graphs page without context to sort of back up our confirmation bias. You know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, sure, they, sure. we totally lean in on it and then we use it as like statistical fact when the truth is, you know, Tyler O'Neill, and I put this out there on Twitter today, I think some people misconstrued it. I think some other people sort of understood it and, and got what I was trying to get across was I looked at Acuna's uh, walk rate and strikeout rate from the beginning of, of 2017 until today. And the same thing with Tyler O'Neill. And O'Neill's walk rate was like 2% higher or a little bit more. And his strikeout rate was like 2% higher. But they were relatively close. And it was like... You know, I, I get that, you know, Acuna is obviously 19 years old and, and Tyler O'Neill is 22 um, or, excuse me, or Acuna is whatever, 20 um, and, and, and Tyler O'Neill is 22, 23. But um, the point was, like, he's done this against AAA pitching and it's not like Acuna has a bad hit tool. It's not like his numbers are awful. Like, we'll take that 7.5% walk rate with all the other stuff in the package. And O'Neill's has been more like a 9% walk rate with a really awful stretch early on. And that's what I really wanted to sort of magnify is we didn't excuse him when he was 21 years old, entering his first season, full season in triple a, you know, for struggling the first few weeks at Tacoma. And let's be honest in kind of a shitty player development organization with the Mariners, Mm -hmm. you know, and he was one of the few guys that sort of came out of that fire, right? (laughs) There aren't many guys that come out gold from the fire. That is uh, the Seattle Mariners. (laughs) player development system. I mean, uh, Taewon Walker's elbow 
he gave up for good life after you know having to deal with that uh, monstrosity. But um, that's besides the point. But the thing with O'Neill is he had a great season in, in 2016. I think we forget how good he was. He almost won a triple crown. His walk rate was like 10, 11 percent. And he was 20, 21 years old in double A. That's totally age appropriate, if not even a little bit young, maybe for the level. And he hits for a ton of power, huge exit velocity, puts the ball in the air, puts the ball in play, walks enough and puts together a ton of competitive at bats. You know, he's got some swing and miss because he takes aggressive swings at pitches he thinks he can hit. But there's a lot of guys with 30 plus strikeout rates that were considered better stock prospects that still have seen that carry over <laughs> Miguel Sano that a lot of people still believe in as like a top 100 player. So my thing is with, with O'Neill is I'm not saying that he is Ronald Acuna. He's not Ronald Acuna is much better. He's not like a top 10 prospect, but why are we ignoring the fact that this guy is like exactly where the game is going, hit the ball hard, hard, high exit velocities, hit the ball in the air, uh, you know, he, he follows sort of advanced uh, uh, um, training regiments in, in terms of his, his physicality. The guy is, is a specimen. Oh you know, God, he's, yeah. he's improved his arm. He's improved his running. He's a he's a plus straight line runner. Like maybe he's not the most agile guy in the world. He's not going to play running back for the Patriots next season. But like. <laughs> He, he has good range because he is quick. He runs really well on the bases. He's a good baseball player. He's extinct. He's instinctive on the base pass. I think he stole 14 bases and got caught twice last season. So he can run a little bit too. He's got a plus arm. All this stuff ticks up that like I can take a 26% strikeout rate. And if it ticks up at like 30% in the majors, if he's hitting homers and he, walk, he still walks at like a seven, eight percent click early on, that's pretty good. And this is a guy in dynasty leagues that like, what's he going to be when he's 25? You know, like we, we all look at Aaron Judge and we're like, wow, look at Judge. Judge was a college first round a draft yeah. pick player. This guy was a was a prep player out of Canada. So we'll talk about cold weather, right? Uh, you know, prep player out of Canada. And he's done nothing but improve. And he's had some struggles, but I, I just feel like we, we've, we've so many people in the scouting community have like written him off. And there's some people that love him too. I watch as much Tyler O'Neill as I possibly can. And like, yeah, I'm not going to say he's a perfect prospect, but, but like, damn, this guy is big in the, in the muscle sense. He's probably only like five, nine. <laughs> he's not very tall, <laughs> but he hits for power. You know, he does put together really competitive at bats. It's not like he's like a 4% walk rate guy. I mean, we're not even talking about like a Mancini or a Hayes. A lot of people have comped in the Grichuk. And, mm. and, and I'm like, like, go back and look at his 2016. He almost won a triple crown. He was the best player in double in A that season in the Southern League. He won the Southern League MVP. He just missed the triple crown, I think, by like, you know, eight points in batting average or something like that when he hit like 292 went into the Southern league playoffs and absolutely mashed, uh, you know, his slash line was like 480, 590, uh, you know, 900 with like three homers in seven games and Jackson won the championship and he was clutch. So like, he's just, he's just one of those guys that like, he just, he's a gamer. He puts it all together. I could go on about Tyler O'Neill for another 40 minutes. I mean, like I, I love the guy. I think he's perpetually underrated. And it, and it almost insults me and it insults me as like a, a, a player evaluator 
when people think he stinks. And maybe, maybe that's why I'm so defensive with Tyler O'Neill because I'm like, how can you watch this? How can you look at these numbers and think that this guy sucks? Like, because he had a bad AFL for a week, like two years ago. Get out of here, man. I don't know. Uh, Tyler O'Neill. Anyway, what are your thoughts? <laughs> no, I, I like I like your take on O'Neill. I'm interested to see, honestly, Ralph, if you think maybe one of the people the knocks that people give him and the reason that people don't like him is just because the swing isn't like aesthetically fantastic. It's a little short. He's not much of a leg kick. It's all upper body, but. I think mm. you could you could either look at that as a plus or a minus. You could look at it as a minus in terms of maybe it not being the most gorgeous of swings. You could find probably guys much lower on prospect lists with nicer swings. But you could look at it as a plus in terms of his power is unbelievable for what he does with his lower half and how he's able to adjust. I know there's some swing and miss there, but he's played coverage because of where he can just throw his hands up and down in the zone and with the power he can generate from purely almost all of his upper body is fantastic. And another big thing that I want to point out is that when he came over from Seattle, they immediately adjusted his hands and where he was loading his hands. It loads him lower now. It's much smoother. The swing plane's more consistent. That's a big thing. That adjustment I think is big. That adjustment I think is what gets him into kind of the you know, into the range for me of like average everyday regular to above average everyday regular where he's plus power, legitimate plus power. And this is going to play up in fantasy. The fact that he's non-zero in speed and the fact that he could find some, find his way on defense to the point where the Cardinals. And that's one thing the Cardinals value a lot. I know in the past, you know, they got, they moved Fowler from center to right now. He's a plus defender. They got famine center plus defender. Ozuna is a little bit of a liability out there and left, but uh, I, I think he's more neutral than liability, excuse me, but, but the bat there is so much plus that they're willing to take a bit of that knock. But the Cardinals aren't one to put crappy outfielders anywhere. <laughs> and I hope that anyone who's a Cardinal fan immediately thinks of the time they had Matt Adams in left field. Because that was one of the greatest moments of all time. And I will never forget on Twitter, um, when he got shipped to the Braves or something like that, I was like, I, I was like, can't wait for him to play outfield. And then I remember one of the Braves beat writers was like, there's zero chance he's playing outfield. And then like two days later, who do you see in left field? Matt Adams. And I was like, yeah, everyone thinks Matt Adams can be an outfielder for no reason whatsoever. And it makes no sense. But I don't mean to get carried away with here with some Cardinals no. uh, weird decision making. But um, yeah, I think that you got some stuff with, with Tyler Neal. I'm really interested to see mainly what Matheny does with him um, in particular, mm. because in the past, when guys hit for them, like the reason Tommy Pham broke out, and I know there's he had that awesome article, I think someone from SI did that, where he kind of broke down, and one of the things he said in there was like, why the F was I not up in the major leagues when I was being touted as like a really good prospect, and the, the organization was telling him that he could do it, but he wasn't up there. So there's been some weird stuff like that, but at the same time, we've had instances of Cardinal prospects where if they hit, they stay, and they stick, and they play. And, you know, I feel mm. like you kind of see this with Bader, because Bader... I've never been super, super high on personally. I think that he's a guy with average tools across the board, but no, no six or seven tool. And that's a little bit concerning for me on the fantasy side of things. And I like the fact that he's a good straight line runner, really good center field, et cetera. But I don't see the path for Bader to become like fantasy relevant, honestly, or, or above average every day in the outfield. And that's a concern to me, but you see that was Hater with Hater with the fact that they started playing him a little bit more, I think, at the end of last year, and he didn't pop off, he didn't blow up right away, so the Cardinals weren't willing to play him every day. But a guy like DeJong, where they brought him up and he started playing every day and he hit, they kept him in the lineup. That might have been because there was a little bit more of a middle infield deficiency there, but I'd like to think that in some way they could get him into the outfield, barring, you know, Fam or, or Fowler injury. I think Ozuna's in there every day, but out of the four-hole four hole cleanup spot, so I don't see much movement there. So, I think he's got the arm to stick in right, so it's more of a matter of how often they can, can they get him in there when Fowler's not playing. And we'll see. Mm. We'll see with that for sure. Um, I'll jump quickly to Jack Flaherty. I really like Jack Flaherty a lot, and particularly how he's using that curveball. I think that's relatively essential for him. Two left-handed hitters to kind of neutralize that side of the plate. 
I also really want to see where this changeup's going, and I think it's a bit off. It's a really hard pitch right now in terms of what you see a lot on velocity differentials for changeups between fastballs and um, changeups and why those are successful. I, I always like bringing this up because I think it's a fun thing to understand. It's just, you know, the, the, the window we all want on our, on our fastball to change up is about 7 to 10 miles per hour. If you get it in that 7-ish range, you're starting to look at a pitch that generates more ground balls. If it's a 10 or above is where you start to see more whiffs, and guys use those particularly different counts. So if it's more in that 7 window, you're going to see it earlier in the count. Guys are going to be more willing to kind of use it almost as a two-seamer. Kind of blends with two-seamer most of the time because it's a little bit harder. But then you get guys who are above 10%. You get a ton of whiffs on that pitch. And then you get the blend of the two, the Steven Strasburgs, where that pitch is unbelievable fade, unbelievable depth. And, you know, on a changeup, you actually want less spin rate. So Strasburg's change is probably my favorite in baseball. Used to be Felix Hernandez's. But in um, circling this back to Jack Flaherty, it's just I want to see what happens to his changeup. Because while I do like the curveball to left-handed hitters, I think it's relatively essential for him to get that changeup going to left-handed hitters. I think that is a better pitch than what the curveball will eventually be. But regardless, he's a two-pitch guy with that fastball slider combination. He's good enough right now to start in the Cardinals rotation. I think he should be starting the Cardinals rotation over Wayno. But... I think the Cardinals decisions are the Cardinals decisions, and that's why I'm not a decision maker for the Cardinals. But <laughs> I feel like in the consensus around anyone who's a Cardinal fan is probably that they want to see Jack Flaherty there over Wayno. But we'll see what happens. Um, Carson Kelly, Ralph, um, fantasy side uh. of things, I'm not too sure. Uh, yeah, I, I like Carson Kelly personally as a player, but in the fantasy landscape, I really just don't even really know what to do with him. Um, I, this happens all the time for me with catchers. I sour on catchers almost immediately. Um, I just don't like any of them, honestly. Like even Cuba Ruiz, who got an aggressive assignment in double A, jumping to the Dodgers for a sec here, switch hitting bat. I don't like it swing from the right side, and I just don't know what happens with him. I know there's plus glove there, but we're still trying to figure out the bat side of things, and it seems like every catcher goes through. We like Chancisco, I still like deep down, yes. Uh, Zach Collins, all these guys, it's just like they're like either mm. some people have them top 100 and other people are just like, I don't know, you know, and that's the thing for fantasy side for me. It's just, I, I don't know. Like, I just wouldn't invest in a catcher when you guys get guys like, like Jet Bandy producing and Luke Molly from the Blue Jays right now is bat like 500. It's like, I just don't know what to do with catchers. So I think I'd have Carson Kelly uh. probably lower, probably around like 9, 10 on this list personally. But on a real life list, I think you got to kick him up into that top five window just because the defense is plus, arms plus. Mm. Bat's a little funky. I'd like to see him adjust him a little bit. Um, you got any thoughts on Flaherty or, or Kelly, Ralph? Yeah, I think you nailed everything on Flaherty. We've talked about Flaherty now for, for two years. At this point, yeah. he is ready for the major leagues. The off-speed stuff is ready. Uh, breaking stuff is ready. Good fastball, you know, good control. Um, I saw an interesting question today, and it was, uh, would you rather have Flaherty or Mike Soroka long-term? And I think pretty much everybody was a bunch of scouts and player development people that they they. Had, uh, uh, pulled and they all said Soroka, but said like, it was really, really close. I think it's kind of an interesting conversation to have there just because yeah. they're sort of similar guys where, um, maybe Soroka's fastballs will consistently, a, a, a 60, uh, yep. you know, where, where Flaherty is, is sort of a little bit more fringe 60 above average to, to plus, And, you know, the slider and change and some of that stuff is, is pretty damn good itself. So like Flaherty a lot, um, yeah, I don't think I have anything really to add on Kelly. Yeah, As you said, he's a whatever. catcher. I three years from now, I think he's going to be a good fantasy catcher. Uh, but you got to be able to sit sit on him for a while. I mean, you know, maybe Tom Murphy, another guy making noise, uh, yeah, finally yeah. Uh, again in AAA. Albuquerque, maybe yeah. he finally gets an opportunity this year. And we thought he was going to get it two years ago. So yeah. it just goes, goes to show you there's such a a, a a a a a learning curve with catchers because they control 
so much of the game that, you know, there's so much they have to be able to do. They have to be able to throw. They have to be able to hit their weight, you know, still. And they have to be able to frame well. They have to be able to call a game. And all those skills sort of have to come together because you're sort of, in a lot of ways, the quarterback of the field, you know, uh, you know, defensively. And there's just so much that goes into it. And, and I don't think, you know, Moline is going anywhere for at least three, four, five, 25 years. So we'll see what <laughs> happens there. I wanted to mention my, my number four is still Harrison Bader. I've always been relatively okay. high on Bader. I love the fact, you know, underrated a little bit was college player at Florida, always hit there, hit throughout the minor leagues. You know, he was in that same draft class as Benintendi and Bregman and Swanson and all these sort of guys. And, and he was sort of neck and neck with, with Bregman is, you know, coming out the gate really hot in 2016 and uh, Bader was good last year in AAA. obviously got some opportunities as well on the major league level. Uh, did he break camp this year? If I'm not mistaken and is Bader, yeah. mm-hmm. been on, been on the, the 25 man, the entire season. Uh, so Cardinals obviously think highly of him. He hits the ball hard. His sort of fatal flaws Achilles heel is the fact he doesn't hit for a lot of power against righties. Doesn't hit righties very well at all. But maybe that can that can sort of tick up. He mashes lefties. It's always going to get him into a major league roster. Um, and usually guys like that can develop against right-handers, uh, at least to a point that they can be serviceable. And maybe Bader gets there. I think there's a lot of untapped offensive potential. He's an exciting athlete. Not the most patient guy at the plate, but I think his aggressive contact first approach really works for him. And like I said, he's another guy, you know, high exit velocities. And I know the Cardinals organization values that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like your, your rank at Bader at four here. I'm looking at your list now. I don't know why it wasn't on the sheet. We got a little sheet that runs for anyone that doesn't know. And I didn't see that on there, but now I see it. Um, I can run down the, each of our top tens really quick if, if you guys want. So we're mm. going to go. We got Reyes at one, both O'Neill or actually I have, I have Flaherty above O'Neill. I think that probably is just hitter pitcher. Um, it's whatever you kind of want to flip there for me. I always think it's tough to comp pitcher to hitter. I liked a lot of what I saw from Flaherty personally. And I, I think the playing time is a relative concern early for O'Neill, but Am I shocked if one jumps over the other? No. I think that that's interchangeable for me there. But I agree. Our top threes are consensus Reyes, O'Neill, Flaherty. And then I go Andrew Kneiser at four, who's kind of one of my guys on this list that I like a lot personally. And five mm. for me, and I, I actually said 4.5 because I think between Kneiser and Adolis Garcia, it's really close. Then I go Barrison, Harrison yeah. Bader, six, Yara Muno, seven, Carson Kelly, eight, which is a pure fantasy rank. He jumps up in real life list for me. Rhett, Max Schrock, nine, Connor Green, 10, Ralph Hugo, Reyes, one, O'Neill, two, Flaherty, three, Bader, four, Adolis Garcia, five. So pretty similar overall. Schrock, six, Kneiser, seven, Arosa Reyna, who I have just outside of my top 10, eight, Carson Kelly, nine, and then you have Oscar Mercado, 10. And then it gets into kind of the classic build of Cardinal guys who are all five tools, but or excuse me, all 50 grade tools everywhere across the board, but are more utility than everything. Mm. So uh, there's a smattering of those guys on this list. I'm not sure. I love Jonathan Machado, though. I Uh, love Jonathan Machado that I that I have at 12, but I could consider it 11. I had Dakota Hudson at 11. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. I know if you want to just sort of dive into these guys a little bit sort of quickly, like a Dallas Garcia sure, to sure. me is just like a, like, like I said, I think he's almost like a five across the board, except for his arm, which is like an eight, <laughs> you know, you can yep, hit, yep. you can hit for power. Um, another guy sort of, he's like the Cuban, uh, uh, Harrison Bader, where he's like contact <laughs> over approach, but it's aggressive, hits the ball hard. 
He can run pretty well as well. So yeah, I'm excited to see what he's like. He's another guy that's been on this Memphis team and in that outfield with O'Neal and Arizona and us and Oscar Mercado as well. Who's a guy that's kind of a, a bit of a Sagnoff sort of sleeper that, you know, he's a guy that runs a little bit. Yes. He's hit for a little bit more power. If I'm not mistaken, I don't have the contact stats in front of me, but I think he was a swing change guy that added a little bit more fly ball to a little more loft, a little bit more fly ball last year. And it's paid some dividends. And he's kind of interesting because he was a middle infielder that they moved yep. uh, to center field. So maybe he can bounce back and forth a little bit, be an interchangeable guy. I think he's probably more of a utility player, but, kind of interesting because of the speed for deeper leagues. So I, I just wanted to mention him and I threw him on there at 10 because he's in the cusp of the major leagues that if something sh- uh, sort of broke, right, he could be a contributor. I'm interested to hear your take. Well, why don't you tell me about why you like Andrew Kneiser yeah. and uh, who I, I like as well. And then we'll talk a little Max Schrock before maybe we get out. Yeah. Here, Cause I don't think, uh, I don't think we have to spend a ton of time on Arizona or, uh, or Connor nah. green really. Yeah, we're going to have to consolidate down kind of these lists here, but I think it's still good to kind of run through some guys. We can, we can even talk a little Jordan Hicks. I know you had a question on that just because mm. he's a little bit more hyper-relevant. But, yeah, Kniser is I, – I, you're considering, like, O'Neal your guy on, like, top 100 list. Kniser is my guy who I actually almost considered on the top 100 list when I was putting mine together. I like him a lot. I think what you have here is a legitimate guy. He was the third baseman and moved to catcher. The problem – is mainly, and you're going to hear this all the time, but I just really don't want to catch as a detriment for guys in Dynasty Leagues. I think his value might be suppressed because of this, and it creates a little bit of a nice little buying window here, is the fact that they like Kelly Moore defensively, and I think that's consensus, and he is the heir apparent to Yachty in terms of catcher. So they're going to leave him there. In AAA, jump him up. He's going to back up Yachty, et cetera, be able to work with him in a couple of years. He's going to be the full-time catcher. With Kniser, I don't think he's the build of like a backup catcher who starts 60 games a year, the bat is too good. It's too advanced. His approach is fantastic. I really like where he loads his hands. I think it's a relatively smooth swing. He's got a nice coil. And the biggest thing is that he's able to generate a little bit of all fields power and not sacrifice the strikeouts at all. He's sitting around like a 60% K rate right now. He walks a little bit. I think that stabilizes his hands are quick. He's got great bat speed. I really like the composition of this guy overall. He's 300. He was 300 hitter with 14 home runs in a really low K rate. Again, I mentioned last year, and I, I just like all fields with him. The all fields pop and the fact that I think that in my mind, they can move him to other parts of the field. I know that they were having him work out a little bit at first base from what I was reading, which is a little funky. I think that he probably fits more in like a corner outfield spot. I mm. think he'd probably go back to third base too. Like this kid is good. He's a really, really good baseball player. The thing for me is that I love the bat. I love the approach, and I love how much untapped power is there. Because I think that when you're looking at a guy, you know, I think one of the other shows we were on, Ralph, we were talking about how we always like guys, like Colin Moran, I believe, is in reference to, where they have a really good approach, and they find the power. And that's basically where I'm sitting with Kniser on this, yeah. is that I think there's power there. He's shown that power at levels, but it's a matter of, getting him into a role where he can play every day. And that's the thing where I think they're probably going to keep him. He's probably too advanced for the levels he's been at, honestly. But it's just a matter of, like, they don't – you can't bring him up to AAA or anything because he, Kelly's got to play there every day. And then they have some other guys that they need to get in there. You can't bring him up to the major league level because there's too much of a blockage all across the diamond there. So where do you play him? I know a lot of people are saying that it's a matter of him getting traded and finding a role somewhere else. And I really think he could flourish in that. 
So I, I rank him with a little bit of that in mind. I'd be really sad to see him go as a Cardinal fan. I really, really like him overall as a player. He's, he's probably like my guy on this list in terms of a guy that I buy into a little bit more possibly than others. And yeah, Dolores Garcia is another one too. And again, I had these guys like right back to back. I think they're kind of interchangeable, which I know is probably not the case for most because I know a lot of people love Adoles Garcia and I love that arm and the ability for that to play up and him to play in most spots because of that. But the thing with Garcia that I want to see change is the fact that he, he goes to his pull side a little bit too much, I think. I think he has really, really good barrel control. And if you look at his pull numbers, they're around like 50%. They're a little bit above average. And if that sticks and going up to the major league level, maybe it's him bringing out a little bit more power, which I'm fine with. But I think his barrel control is good enough to be able to go the other way and, and almost go gap to gap and become that and then eventually turn that into more power later in his career. I know he's a little bit older, but... I'm a fan of him overall. I just want to see some changes, you know. I think that they could tinker with him a little bit. He's another guy like Carson Kelly. I'd love to see someone in the system tinker with their hands a little bit or something. You know, they did this with O'Neal immediately, which is a huge sign to me that the Carl's developmentally, and we've noticed with this with all the guys they bring up and all the guys that are successful for this team, are really good at developing players. And we see this, like the Cardinals' devil magic. Like, I know that's probably not actually real, but, I mean, you look at how many guys out of the system have produced and become decent. Luke Weaver, Michael Waka. I know he's struggling this year. You got a ton of guys here who are just blowing up. Carlos Martinez, they've tinkered with a ton. Eccentric guy, but I mean, yeah, outfielders too. Tommy Pham. It's just, they've had this considerably. Paul, Paul DeYoung, Colton Wong didn't really ever turn into anything too great, but we were just talking about him, and we could reference this back actually to Max Schrock, which we could talk about in a sec, but developmentally i love what the Cardinals do a lot of the time and for me the fact that they adjusted o'neill that quick ralph going back to him is huge i think that that's a big thing that this the mariners somehow didn't catch but the cardinals do immediately and i think that long and hagen from fangers i think talked about this in a chat a while back in the terms of just he loved that adjustment and i think that as a cardinal fan we love that adjustment too because i think that the thing we've never had is really two 35 ish home run bats which i think you could get in ozuna and o'neill at some point um, in their major league careers if, if whatever happens to Fowler and Wright and stuff. But that's probably getting a little bit ahead. Maybe a little bit more relevant, Ralph, is Max Schrock, who I think we both like a bit. I have him, I think, just clicked off my list here. I had him nine, you had him six. So right in that same kind of window, I think we're both big fans. Why don't you talk about Schrock a little bit, Ralph? Yeah, I think the thing with Schrock is like, you know, we, we know about that. We know about the hit tool. We know that uh, Carson Casilli uh, 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 <laughs> over on... Uh, uh, on Fangraphs thinks that he's a uh, future MVP candidate. <laughs> Sorry, I, I missed. I totally butchered his name just now as I was. Sestuli, uh, right? Yeah, Sestuli. As I was, uh, you know, butchering his name repeatedly uh, as I couldn't remember the letters in it, which is pretty awful considering uh, he's much more important in, uh, than I am. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the thing I love about Schrock is he seems to be running this year. He's. Uh, He's yeah, I noticed that. Five stolen bases. He's been successful in four, so it's 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 been going pretty well. He's been hitting for a little bit more power as well. Um, you know, hasn't been putting the ball in the air necessarily more, but he's a guy that has really high line drive rates. He was like a twenty three percent line drive rate guy last year. He's twenty four percent so far. It means he's just making tons of barrels, and that's fine. I've always viewed him as a guy that can maybe turn into like the next stage of like a Daniel Murphy or something like that. Great hit tool walks almost as much yeah. uh, or, uh, as he strikes out and it's crazy. I mean, it's like I mean, he, sub 12% yeah, strikeout rate. Yeah. Like a, a you know, a 9% strikeout rate last year, Jesus. 9% yeah. the year before 7.4 walk uh, rate last season. 
Um, yeah, I mean, this guy hit 321, had 379 on base percentage with a 422 uh, slugging, you know, 128, you know, weighted runs created plus 129 the year before, 131 the year before that. He's been good since he was in the Nationals organization. Uh, they had taken him to the 13th round. You know, he's sort of a, a, a forgotten middle infield guy, one of these fringe yeah. prospects that, that sort of popped up. But, you know, I, I, I find it sort of hilarious that, we get so jacked up about Louis Urias. Now I know this age situation here again, but he's like, he's like the less hyped up Louis Urias. He's really not all that different. Like, you know, like fair, fair. if you just look at the, the two players, um, you know, I think the defense is obviously the big differentiator on real life lists is Louis Urias is a future potential gold glove, second baseman. That's yes, not the yes. case with Schrock at all. He's a serviceable second baseman, like Neil Walker at best. But, um, you know, lefty bat that can hit at second base. I think that plays, you know, there, you know, it's not a great offensive position. Always. There's a lot of teams that will struggle to find that. And, you know, there's not great second base depth in the Cardinals organization. And it wouldn't shock me if he out hits, uh, uh, Colton Wong, um, come the middle of already had his job, you know, absolutely. Yeah. I want to talk about a, a pitcher quick, Connor green, who's one that stood out to me as I was looking through this. And I know that I believe he came over, I think from, the Blue Jays, I think, yeah. came more from the Blue, the Blue Jays. Jays the, the, yeah, there we go. Um, super rotational pitcher here. Uh, you could tell if you actually watch any of his tape, he uses his, his glove hand a ton in terms of generating all that torque in his body. He extends pretty well. I think his lower half's interesting. I don't think it's as engaged as I'd, as I'd like it. But it, this guy, if you read any of the scouting reports and you look at the stats, they diverge heavily. And, that, and that's a big thing because he's got a fantastic fastball. People love the arm action, the arm speed on him, and the changeup plays up a lot more. He's working on his breaking balls a little bit. I think that that curveball has actually become about as good as his changeup, but that's developed a ton in the last year. Um, I love a guy that is going to develop a third pitch like this who, who is already have a projectable changeup as a good fastball and then develops the curve. That's huge for me. But the scouting reports on him are great in terms of the stuff and how nasty he is. I think that I was reading, uh, he, he had a ton of fatigue at the end of last year. So everything artificially is a little bit off. If you look at just pure Fangraphs play page for that line. But, uh, the problem with him is that he just, his control is just really odd, which I almost feel like you don't see much of the time from guys who are super rotational like this. And I wonder if it's a mechanical thing that the Cardinals have to tweak. And I know that in the past, they've done a pretty good job with this. So I'm relatively confident in, in them trying to figure something out with him. But I know a lot of these other arms on this list, Ryan Helsley and uh, who else was I looking at? Um, maybe it was just Ryan Helsley, but Jordan Hicks, obviously pure reliever along with Helsley is probably more of a reliever for me, but, but Connor green is a guy I think who can maybe become the next Cardinal guy to jump up and turn into like a Jack Flaherty S guy. Not saying he's going to be Jack Flaherty, but I think that he can end up being like a four or five in a Cardinals rotation. And again, this is a Cardinals rotation with a ton of depth I'm saying, which is, I guess maybe speaks to a little bit of how much I like him, but, uh, he's number 10 on my list. I just think he's a guy, a fun guy to keep an eye on because he's got nasty stuff and it just hasn't played up and, the scouting reports deviate. Every time you see a scouting report on this kid, they say his stuff is disgusting. And I, I like the fact that he's a little more rotational. I tend to kind of fade some of the guys who are heavier back leg drive. And I know I was talking about that with Cole Stewart, but I, I kind of make an exception on Cole Stewart. But but Helsley's um, a guy with a little bit more effort in, in that delivery, and he's had big control concerns. And I don't see them smoothing out as much as I think they could potentially smooth out with Green. So I like Green a lot. Jordan Hicks, I know we want to touch it very briefly, Ralph. Um, the funniest thing for me on Hicks is that he throws like 101. He doesn't strike any on anybody out, and no one's giving that fastball like a 60 grade. No. And it's it's crazy. It's one of the funniest things to me because I almost feel like 
you ask the average person just because he's been on. I mean, I've seen Jordan Hicks articles on like the he, Ringer. He, he I've got seen a, Jordan he got Hicks a, articles everywhere. He got a seventy on Baseball America actually on that fastball. A seventy, really? I think Fangraphs had him as like a sixty or something or barely. But maybe that's just a purely velo based. But I, he's pretty hittable. Like his contact rate is like actually up there in terms of how many people actually put the bear on the ball with him. He's like a I ground ball guy. More, he's yeah, a, he's weird, like a guy with like a hundred mile per hour sinker, more or less. Yeah. That's essentially it. Yeah. But, uh, he's clearly a pure reliever. Um, he's actually, if you want to slow down mechanics and have a fun time with mechanics, he's a really fun guy to look at because of how much he has going for him in terms of like almost emulating a blend of like a lot of guys we see. I almost feel like he's a little bit like, or all this Chapman in terms of how he coils. He's got a super, super high leg kick. He's got a really nice drop and drive. You see it a lot. If you slow down Lance McCullers tape and how much, how much force comes out of that back leg. And he's a bigger guy too. Really good separation and rotation. You'll you'll see that in a guy like Dylan Cease is another guy who separates just his his separation is just bonkers off the table, and that is where he generates a lot of his velocities and extend too well. But Jordan Hicks is like I, I almost feel like he's a biomechanic guy's dream just because of how many how much of his body's moving to get that fastball to a hundred. He's super super fun to slow down um, and watch. But uh, yeah, there's some other guys on this list, too, that are relatively interesting. Edmund Sosa, Dakota Hudson, I think, is another arm, along with Junior Fernandez, that could maybe hop up a little bit. I think I could like Connor Green a little bit more personally. But uh, but there, there's some interesting names on this list with the Cardinals. I feel like with a lot of these guys, it's just a matter yeah. of figuring out where they end up. Um, is there anyone on this list kind of in this 10 to 15-ish window that stands out to you, Ralph? Yeah, I'll throw out my, my two kids that I really like on this, on this list that I think could jump up huge. And one of them is uh, Jonathan Machado, who is a 19-year-old yep, outfielder. Mentioned, I mentioned yep. him before. Uh, this is a guy with plus plus pitch recognition skills, really good bat to ball contact skills as well. Quick bat uh, runs really well. I think he's more of a leadoff guy eventually, but I do think he's going to hit for some power. I think if he maxes out, he could be like a Lorenzo Kane kind of guy. Um, I, I don't know if he necessarily is going to run uh, that much, but probably, I mean, you know, he had 10 uh, or 10 attempts last year, eight steals. So relatively good. Um, but like I said, still really raw, just turned 19 back at the end of January. So, um, should be interesting to see what he does. The other guy I wanted to bring up is somebody that I had taken a few years ago, right? When he had signed, he signed for a decent amount of money. And that is a small righty. It's a form of what we used to call Ralph special. And that is Alvaro <laughs> Cihas. Uh, he's a kid with a decent fastball, good, com- uh, not so much command on it at this point. Uh, and pretty good curveball that flashes plus and a change of really, really raw. I think he's only 18 or 19 years old still, but uh, kind of an interesting one to watch and uh, high upside kids. So that's the last one I'll sort of mention here. Like Dakota Hudson, he's got that really funky delivery, but um, I'd say everybody else is sort of uh, fringe for the most part yeah. at this point. I mean, you know, yeah. Munoz. Um, yeah. I, I like I Munoz a bit. I think that he could be almost like a, I, I, I like think I had the comp I wrote Victor down for him was like a Jed Jerko. I, I actually like Jed Jerko a little bit on that comp. Yeah. I think there's a little more power okay. than people realize. And he, he's got the arm just to get third. Um, maybe like a, a Jed Jerko light, I would say. Yeah. A little bit more on the contact side. I like Victor Garcia, too. He's a young a young J2 power back from a couple classes ago. That's kind of interesting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they got a lot of guys that will pop up in the next year. It's the Cardinals. They, they do well in the international yep. market and typically scout pretty well in the draft. But uh, another wonderful show. Lance, why don't you tell the people where they can find you and what you're working on before we sign off? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm at Lance Brosdo on Twitter. Uh, I'm writing for a ton of spots. I'm actually writing now for the Cardinals SB Nation site called Viva Albertos. So I'll be doing an article a week on the analysis side for them, the major league level. Writing for Razzball, that column comes out every Monday. I've been doing a lot of pitcher thoughts recently and just kind of breaking down some guys that I'm watching. And I almost feel like Razzball as a site, Ralph, and this goes for you and this goes for Gray and everyone else writing. We've done a really good job this season of talking about some guys that are really relevant right now mm. in terms of just the leaper side and stuff. So I'm, I'm super amped about that, just as Razzball as a whole and how well we're doing. Um, so yeah, right for Asbury, right for Big3Sports.com. Have my own podcast, Two Strike Approach. That's on a bunch of outlets. Check that out. I do Tuesday Pitcher Thoughts, which is actually inspired by a column I, I wrote for Asbury, and I've been running with that. It's a ton of fun to do. Ralph, how about you? Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm doing my usual podcast with Gray that comes out on Tuesday. I get the baseball show with Andy Singleton to record that on Wednesday. That comes out on Friday. This show comes out on Saturday. I have my minor league post that comes out on Sunday, and I've been doing a pitching profile. That's been coming out on Wednesday where I sort of break down a start. Last uh, week was Joey Lucchese's start this past Sunday versus San Francisco. Some really interesting stuff, and what I try to do is sort of – differentiate myself and from the narrative that's been out there a little bit on Lucchese and breaking down that he is a three pitch guy and you can sort of tell by how he uses the curveball versus the changeup throws the ball a little bit higher in the zone it's a little bit more loopy uses the changeup on the hands or in the outer part of the plate and uh, I sort of discuss it go through it go through some of the sequencing um, usage of the fastball. Unfortunately, I didn't have Andy uh, doing his pitching ninja thing because we didn't want to get in trouble this week with the big news of the <laughs> pitching ninja. So I had to use MLB highlights, and unfortunately, all the highlights were of Lucchese's strikeouts, and all nine of his Ks were on changeups or curveballs. That breaking ball was absolutely devastating. So go and take a look at that. And uh, as always, you can hit me up with questions, uh, concerns, comments. You can yell at me at prospect Jesus on Twitter. <laughs> uh, you know, I take on all questions about MLB, uh, have a good time with it. And every so often you'll get a Tyler O'Neill rant. <laughs> I love it. Definitely. Everybody check it out. Thanks for joining us. As always, we'll be back next week. Farts. In terms of conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. 
We love it and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. 